we're, we're really excited. We didn't expect anybody actually <laughs> at an NDK anime convention. We're like, yeah, let's talk about selling real estate. And someone, nobody will ever show up. But I'm really excited that you guys did. Um, I talked to quite a few of you guys in my booth already. But uh, today we're going to go over some more information about the market, what's going on, how you guys as as geeks and stuff can actually get into your own home um, and make some money. Um, misconceptions about the market, what's going on, uh, the differences in what was going on six months ago versus what's going on right now. Um, and uh, we're going to just kind of go over some of those things. And uh, we have to sit down because we stand up here. <laughs> uh, and so I want to sit down a little bit, but we're going to be coming around. Um, I know most of you have already given us your information, but we would like it if you would give us your contact information so that we can send you information about this afterwards. Um, and you, we're going to give you some other handouts and things like that. We want to make sure that we have enough for everybody and make sure you guys don't get that. Um, but my name is Nate Oswalt. I'm with uh, Geekway Homes at Greatway Real Estate. I've been a real estate agent now for five years. Um, I got into real estate because I wanted to invest money and make money and learn how to do that. I've been a gamer since I was 15 years old. Um, I've been going to game conventions and things like this and NDK since I was, uh, since 1996 actually, I think that was my first game convention that I went to. Um, and I, I just love the culture and I love, I love my people. <laughs> and uh, um, I figured out a way to make some money and I want to spread that out to everybody. And so I'm probably the first real estate agent you'll ever see that actually has a booth at every game convention and and an anime convention and stuff, and people are like, why are you doing that? There's an untapped resource here, and all of you guys, I know you guys want to succeed in life too, and so my goal is to pull everybody along with me. As I succeed, I want everyone else to go too. So sharing wealth, sharing knowledge, that's my, that's my goal. A um, little bit of background. I started out in 1996. I went to school and became a police officer. I know it's bad way, but I did it, <laughs> and I realized that that wasn't how I wanted to help people. Um, so I went back to school and got my degree in electrical engineering. Too much math. <laughs> I'm done. That was no fun either. Uh, so I ended up in call centers. I ran call centers for 15 years for DirecTV and AT&T. Um, I, I did everything down in Central America and India. I managed those call centers for them. So I traveled, I spent a lot of time in other countries seeing how people lived over there, and seeing what the, their struggles were. And coming back here, I'm like, there's no reason why everybody should own a house in, in the United States. So um, just figured out. I bought my first investment property in uh, 2017. Um, and that's when I realized, hey, I can be a real estate agent. So I went to, I dropped everything. I quit my job at AT&T that I had for 15 years. Cashed in my pension, cashed in my 401k, became a real estate agent. And since then, I've helped over 100 people get into their new homes. So um, I love it. I, I, I make money at it, but I do it because I love it. That's it. Uh, and then this is Brett. So my name is Brett Green. I'm with a company called Guild Mortgage. I've been in lending for 20 years. Um, I've been through all kinds of fun markets. Um, I. Most people don't grow up and say, when I grow up, I want to be a mortgage banker. Um, it's common. It's one of those things you just oftentimes fall into or have family that have been in the business. Um, but I'm very passionate about helping individuals utilizing home, um, purchasing a home and building wealth and understanding the why behind what you're doing when you're buying a home. Um, I think it's really important. This country really struggles with financial literacy and I'm super passionate about making sure that you understand the budget and why you're getting into a home and what's going to be the best fit for you long term. Um, there's some real benefits of home ownership that I've been lucky enough to, to live through since I bought my first home in 2000. We buy our first home 2001 or uh, 2000. So uh, there are a lot of things you see. One of the biggest challenges we face right now is if you read the media, it always seems like everything's horrible. The market is definitely different, but it's actually an advantage for homeowners right now trying to get into a home. Um, if you know anyone that bought a home in the last seven, eight months, this market in the Denver area was 
if you want to buy a home, prepare to have a significant amount of money to overbid on a home. And the market has shifted so home buyers can now get into a home without having to have huge amounts of excess capital to be able to get into something. Um, and my job is to help you figure out the financial piece of it. There are a lot of first-time home buyer programs, assistance programs, things to help you get into something. And you know, the way Nate and I typically work is we're, we're really partners in trying to help you get into a home. Um, and I'm, like Nate, I'm really passionate about helping individuals you know, realize the dream of home ownership um, and really take advantage of the wealth that you can build over time by, by owning your own home. Yeah, just an example. I bought my home in 2015 for $260,000. It's worth almost six hundred thousand dollars right now. So in seven years, I've doubled my money, I've, and that's money. That's just free money that I can use for anything. I can use that to buy to build more wealth. I can use it to do other things. Um, but where else in the world are you going to make two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars for doing nothing other than paying your bills? You pay your rent every month. At the end of when you're done with your lease, you leave. Do they give you any money back? Not, usually they keep your security deposit. You're like, hey, hey, I get nothing. When you sell your house, which is not much harder than actually breaking a lease and leaving, you get all that equity back plus the appreciation. You're gonna make a ton of money. And you take that with you, and instead of buying the same exact house you were in before, now you get a bigger house, and then a bigger house, and a bigger house. You do that every two, three, five years for the first like 10 years, boom, you have your dream house. Um, you may not get it on your first shot, but we'll show you how to do it. Um, most people, their misconception is when you have to have 20% down to buy a house, right? That's that's the world, that's what everyone tells you, especially if you're parents. You know those Gen Xers, they tell you, you have to have 20% to buy a house. Like 20% of 500,000? <laughs> I don't have $100,000 sitting in the bank. Nobody has that. It's not true. As Brett will tell you, you can do it for what, three and a half, five percent depending on your credit. In some cases now in this market, with some of the down payment assistance programs, you can literally get into a home if the seller's helping with clothing costs for no money out of pocket. There are expenses that go in with owning a home. Our, the way on our world it works, we typically look at a loan application, look at credit, look at financial situations, and figure out what's going to fit with your specific situation. Um, there are a number of programs in the metro area that are really designed to help you get into a home, typically that's half the battle. So what we've seen over the past 15, 20 years, a lot of homeowners say, well, I'm gonna wait until I've saved enough to put down my down payment. And they're always chasing as home prices have appreciated, the amount they need is more and more. And so utilizing some down payment assistance programs and getting the is oftentimes the first step. Um, or if you do have a bigger down payment, you can utilize it. Uh, I have a lot of homeowners that I've worked with that have a large down payment, but it's not always the most financially beneficial thing to put all of their money into the house. Because once it's in, it's harder to get it back out. Um, and so figuring out what fits with budgets and financial investment goals and other things can oftentimes change the way we structure loans and, and do things. So, yep. um, and in the news right now, all you're hearing is rates keep going up, rates keep going up. It's so expensive <coughs> to buy, oh my God. Rates are now what, like 5.8%? 5.8%? That's actually a normal interest rate. Um, if you looked, you hear everyone saying, I got a three and a half, I got a 4% in the last two years. Those were stimulus. Those were things that the government did to keep the economy moving. So they kept lowering interest rates to help, you, help people get in, to keep people buying. Now we're back to normal. So it's not really high, it's just back to normal, back to where we should be. Um, and there's things you can do to get your interest rates even lower. Um, <coughs> you told me this, it was um, marry the house, date the interest rate. Um, you, you go in there, you move it, you get the house right now while the prices are low, and in two years you refinance with those places when those prices come down. And there's programs out there that can help us, like Brett was talking about. You may have 20% to put down on your house, but it's not financially smart to do that. It might be good to put a little bit of that in to buy your interest rates down to get those payments down and those are good for two years sometimes and then you refinance and get your payments down even lower so when they're about to go back up you, you just watch it make sure that you're not going to just refinance um there's a lot of things we can do there's it, it,
it just takes a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of working with your real estate agent and your, and your mortgage lender um, to make sure that you stay on top of things. And I think that sets us apart from most people because most people are very transactional. Most real estate agents, most lenders, they're very transactional. You bought a house, nice to see you, have a nice day. And you leave and you never talk to them again. When you work with us, it becomes a partnership. We call it a friendship. We are your friends for life. Um, we talk to you on a monthly basis. We send you updates on what your house is worth. We'll send you reminders if your if your adjustments are gonna come come due. Hey, you might want to refinance here pretty soon because your interest rates are gonna go up. Blah blah blah. Um, we have those kind of conversations. Also, most real estate agents, when you work with them, they don't tell you that they are your resource. If you need a plumber because your plumbing went bad, we have those. If you need a contractor because you are adding in a special room, if you need any of those kind of things, we're your resources because we work with those people all the time. So I stay in contact with my clients to let them know, hey, if you need something, call me. I still have people that I worked with four years ago that call me up going, hey Nate, uh, do you know where my uh, water turnoff valve is? Actually I do because I remember that basement. It's not over in the corner, blah, blah, blah. Um, I get those phone calls all the time. And that's perfectly fine because those are my friends. I want to help my friends. I want to make sure. So, um, so when you become, when you work with us, it's, it's kind of like a uh, a friendship. It's a relationship for life. So, um, I know you guys have a lot of questions because you guys have come to my and started asking me. So I kind of want to keep this as a dialogue versus me just spewing things at you guys because I really want you guys to learn what you guys need. Um, so we're open for questions too have anything. Current market situation, what I've heard is that a lot of people are buying up houses and renting them out to people. How true is that compared to, uh, I don't know, what's in the past or whatever? Because you never know what it's like in the past and what you're dealing with right now. So in the five years that I've been a real estate agent, I'm seeing a lot more of those kind of things, but they're not like traditional, like people buying and renting houses. Uh, we are seeing some of those, so a lot of a lot of people investing. But because house prices were going up so much, we see a lot more of the rent-to-own programs and things like that, where they buy the house for the, the client and then rent it to them until they purchase it. So you do see a lot of rentals. Um, but there are companies, and you've probably heard about that big, uh, what was it, the 2020 show that was talking about that Canadian company that came in and was buying a ton of houses. There are outside investors that are doing things like that. Um, but I think it's more on the programs that are just trying to help people get into home ownership in this crazy market. I don't think about that either because that was only something that happened here in passing because I've, I've, I rent an apartment and I've been paying my apartment things and I don't know anything about that kind of market. There, there are, so to your, to your question, there are some, um, can you hear me okay? There, there are some, some large multi-billion dollar organizations that are just throwing tons of capital throughout the country buying up large amounts of properties to control the rent market. Their theory is if they have enough market share, they can drive up rents and then also have a larger amount of the inventory to drive up appreciation in those homes, which is, we have seen a lot of appreciation in the market. There are other things and other factors in our market, mostly out-of-state money coming in, so people moving from California. Um, during during when the rates were really low, people would come in and overbid $150,000 for a home because they had the cash and it just made sense for them to do it. But it wasn't healthy for this market. Um, in the last three, four months, we've definitely seen a shift. So at the beginning of the year, the metro area at one point on the end of January, beginning of February report, 1,350 homes for sale. 440 of them were, were condos and townhomes, the rest were single family. I think it's closer to eight or 9,000 now. The average um, healthy market for real estate inventory in the metro area is probably closer to 12,000. So there's still a shortage of homes, but the inventory is significantly higher than it had been in the past. A lot of that is rate driven. But the flip side is, if the home prices are the, stay the same from where they were earlier in the year, 
if you're not having to overbid, it's really allowing individuals without $60,000, extra to bid on the home, get under contract, find an opportunity. And we do expect rates to come down at some point when the Fed gets done hammering interest rates. And we don't know when that's going to be, but they've been very hawkish, which has driven up rates in the last week again. But um, we think they're going to find a point where once inflation's under control, the rates will stabilize and eventually come back down. Okay, so he and I remember thinking about like getting home and whatnot. And we've come across like the mortgage versus rent to own, and I still don't understand either. So what's the difference between the two and what like what situation benefits like from what? Like say we're a single family trying to get into a three bedroom and we're just receiving a little bit of money, not a lot, and we don't know the difference between rent to own versus like going for the mortgage. Because it seems like the same thing, but I know they're two vastly different things. Completely different, yeah. Yeah. So rent to own, so the way that the one that I work with is called the way it works is if you're not ready to fully purchase a home yet, um, what they will do is you qualify with them to rent, just like normal. You fill out an application, they tell you you're qualified for $2,600 a month. Just an example. <laughs> you're, you're qualified for $2,600 a month for your rent. Um, they tell me, you are available for a $2,600 a month rent, that will get you about a $500,000 house or $450,000 house. Then I turn around and go shopping with you for $450,000 houses. You find it, you fall in love with it, they send you a lease, so you're renting for five years, it's locked in. Um, your rent is, they, they tell you exactly what your rent is gonna be every year for five years. Mm -hmm. They tell you how much you can purchase that home from them in the flip, every year for the next five years. Now, so, one second. Um, so you actually rent it like normal. Yep. There's a property management company and they take care of it, but you get to pick the house from the, the MLS market. So you find the house you love. And then you work towards getting ready to purchase it. Then you'll still need to work with Brett or some other lender, um, preferably Brett. There are no other Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> only Brett. Only Brett, remember that, only Brett. Um, to purchase the home from them at, at a point in the future and they tell you exactly. So it's really, if you're not ready to purchase yet, like your credit's not quite there, your income's not quite there, you can rent it from them until your stuff is ready to go. So. Um, the, the, the big downside to that from a, between buying today and then doing the rent to own is that because of how they write in the contract, you may be paying 5% more a year for the next X number of years. So you're, you're not gonna get the same price for years from now that you would've gotten today to buy it. Correct? Yeah. If rates are better three years from now, and that's why you're waiting to buy, you would still likely be able to refinance if you bought today in the future because you're not tied to a loan forever. You can always change your financing at some point in the future. And that's the big difference is you own the house when you when you purchase it with a mortgage. Yeah. You own the house, you get all of the equity from day one. Okay. So every payment that you make goes towards paying off principal and paying off everything. And if your house appreciates, What's, what's that? Wait, so it, like kind of with rent to own, it slides kind of uphill yeah. versus mortgage where it's like more stable slash slightly lower down. Yes. In the, in the first five years or so, you're typically gaining about 1% in equity in what you paid down in the loan. It accelerates over time, just the mechanism in a mortgage. It's, it's what's called amortized. So at the very beginning, it's mostly interest you pay in your payment and a little bit of principal. Mm -hmm. As you pay each payment, you're paying a little more principal, a little less interest over time. And after the thirty years, it's almost all principal. But in the in the first five years of the loan, you're you're gaining anywhere from one to one and a half percent of the equity in the home. So even if nothing happens with home prices between now and three years from now, you're, you have about five percent equity after three or four years in the home that you've been paying, and you're not having to pay a payment that or a purchase it from work. So you're building that equity sooner. That makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And we can sit down one-on-one -on -one and go over everything and make sure you understand, which is what we'll do. Yeah. Uh, this one's for Brett. Uh, do you have any advice for uh, people who are looking at um, uh, getting pre-approved or even starting the, the 1003 application process? Um, what kind of advice would you like? I mean, we can no, uh, no, I mean, that's what we do right. every day. Um, <coughs> the, the big thing from 
getting prepared is just making sure you know all of the most important thing is having the information. We're looking for, when we're doing a loan application, we need two years of information. So it's two-year housing history, two years of work history, um, we don't, and then mostly knowing what our assets are. So where do you bank if you have a 401k or if you have other funds that you're trying to use for something. Um, but there's no, there's, there should be no cost for doing an application. It is a credit pool, so if you're worried about anything credit-related, some things we can do are do a soft credit pool. Um, the one thing I'll tell you if you're looking at doing a loan, if, does anyone use Credit Karma or any credit monitoring services? The most common thing I get when I'm working with customers is if I ask you what the credit score and you say, well, Credit Karma says it's this. It's almost always Credit Karma's higher than what a mortgage app or a mortgage credit is. And the reason for that, Credit Karma is, it's, it's not a, true credit score. So they have their own calculation based on the data and how they calculate the score. With a mortgage pool, the mortgage companies all use the same three um, algorithms, one for Experian, one for Equifax, one for TransUnion, but they're very specific score calculators. And because you're buying, what most people will be purchasing, the most expensive purchase in their lifetime is a home, it's more conservative. And so it's looking at the data in a different way than say a credit card would be or a car lender. So just know that it doesn't mean it's lower. I've seen it be higher, but most of the time we see credit karma's 30 points higher than what we actually find. Um, don't let that concern you, but if you're really worried about credit, it's often great to have a conversation first. We can do a soft pull that doesn't ding credit and really understand what's going on behind the scenes before you get to a point where you're like, we got to work on credit first. Yeah, and the biggest thing, if you're getting ready to fill out an application, talk to Brett first. Make sure you have those conversations because if you know that there's something on your credit, and you know or you're worried that there's something on your credit or worried about anything in your financial past, talk to him first because he'll give you advice on what to do to fix that before you pull the credit or things your score. Um, to, to, to that comment about being prepared from a credit standpoint. There are a lot of individuals who think, okay, well, I've had some credit things in the past, I've got some past collection items, and they'll go and pay that. And sometimes that makes the problem way worse. Um, when you look at credit, most of the time, the way things score in the credit model, if it's not been what they would call active for, for 12 months, it doesn't calculate in the same way. So if you have an old bill from six years ago, it never got paid, but they're not reporting that it was this past and thing, and you think, oh, I've got to clean everything up before I start. As soon as you pay that past due item, it shows as an active account and it can actually bring your story out. So, so credit counseling can get really tricky, and I say that there, there are things you can do that make it worse, not better. Thinking you're doing the right thing, but from a credit standpoint, <laughs> for the temporary, like in the, in the near term can be, so, does that answer you? Yeah, so I think it. Um, wanna, so, you say for the gallon there, 2600 a month, but that's not what, I could not possibly afford that because that's probably all my paycheck for a month. <coughs> that was just an example. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was, for someone who like pays a rent of uh, 11 to 1300 a uh, month, um, what sort of options would there be for renting for a house or buying a house? It'd be more of a condo is what you're going to probably end up looking for. Um, you'd start up in a condo, one bedroom condo probably, and work your way up from there. Um, yeah, and depending on where you're at, and depending on area location, if you want to live in downtown Denver, you're going to pay a lot more. If you want to live, if you move outside of the metro area, prices drop. So. The closer you are to the larger communities, the more expensive it is. Um, I have a lot of people that I've moved to Fort Collins and Greeley and out further north and further east, and their their houses were significantly cheaper than living in downtown. So there's options, it's just whether you like those options or not, that's the difference, whether they work in your lifestyle. And that's where we sit down and have that conversation and we figure it out for you. Do you do work with uh, veterans, military? Yes. Okay. 
We like you. And reinstating something, stuff like that, if, if they've kind of foreclosed on a past one? So the, the way the VA works, the VA, the VA loans are, whenever you're, whenever veterans come out and have what's called a certificate of eligibility and you get $36,000 in entitlement, um, over the course of time, the average home price, what we call the conforming loan limit, has gone up. So even if you've had a foreclosure in the past, as long as the home you're purchasing is over 144000 which it would be really hard for us not to in this area, um, there may be the opportunity to still do 100% financing on the VA loan. There's a worksheet that we do. It depends on how much was charged off against your certificate of eligibility. But um, if it was a home in the past, we're seeing a lot of opportunities where you can still buy something and still use the full eligibility. Now, in Colorado Springs, prices are way cheaper down there. Yep. Just FYI. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yep. So, this is all great information that's given out uh, for free, but I do want to you guys more after the panel but how much do you guys charge on like a regular basic people meeting for client like today do you guys nothing. charge nothing nothing for real no in fact i'll probably buy you lunch so about how real estate agents work um as a buyer's agent so if i'm going to help you buy a house you do not pay me <coughs> Nothing comes out of your pocket. As the buyer, nothing comes out of your pocket. The seller of the house pays for all the agent fees. So there's a few instances where the, the seller refuses to pay and we negotiate it and figure it all out, but it still never comes out of your pocket. Um, consultations are always free for me because I would much rather help you down the road buy a house and then you come through me and I still get paid. Um, I would much rather do that than anything else. I, I do coffee and lunch breaks and all of that stuff with the clients, that's what we do. So if you want, we'll sit down and we'll talk about this. And, I, and I'm sure Brett would do the same thing with you. Because yeah. like, the information I got today was very helpful because like, uh, me and my brother and my mom were trying to buy a house and it's brand new. It's getting built right now. Uh, the builder is Oakwood Homes. Mm -hmm. And our lenders now, they, I'm sorry, they're just, they're useless, to put it lightly. Because like, the information they've been telling us is like, we're entertaining them because oh the clients already know this you know it's it's our first home ever buying a brand new home and they get like irritated and we try to email them contact them we go weeks to even months and they don't contact back which yeah. I find very frustrating to deal so with. it's really important that you find the right people to work with um, the, the people that fit in your niche the people that fit in your family that you would like to work with um, this is a service industry that's what we do we're here to help you um, if we don't do our job, you're never going to use us again, and that's not our job. We want to we want to be your friend for life, to be your real estate agent for life. So we're not going to let you get into a situation like that. Even buying a brand new house, having one built, you should never go there without having a real estate agent because someone in your corner is way better. Because then you you would come to me and I'd be like, hold on one second, I'll call that person and I'll get that answer. It's funny thing because we do have real estate agents and same story. He's not doing his job either. He's on the young side. He's like, I'm on 26. He's probably maybe 28. So he probably just graduated college, and it's kind of forces to pay on. So that's the other real problem in this industry is that there's like 70,000 real estate agents in Colorado because everyone's like, hey, they make a lot of money and they don't do anything right. because that's a misconception. We just we just sit around, we have lunches with people, and we play games, and we don't really do anything. But we can make $100,000 in a year. And so everybody and their brothers got a real estate license. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, how many people actually know more than one real estate agent personally? Most of you guys, I'm sure. Um, and if you don't, they just didn't tell you they're real estate agents, which means they're really good at their job. <laughs> um, but you have to shop and find people. Yeah, and that's what we do. Okay, so if you're moving, say you, say like me, you've moved to a new metro area recently. Mm -hmm. And like me, you're also a recent career changer. How long should you wait before you even think about buying? Well, from a financial standpoint, from a lending standpoint, depends on what the career change is. So, um, stability of income is what lenders always look at. And uh -huh. on the loan program we do, I've had people change jobs in you know, usually six months on the job. That they can buy again, 
Um, sometimes it's less. It depends on whether we can show crossover and sell the story. If you're going from a, being a wage earner to a self-employed individual, it's a lot more difficult because you need to have a certain amount of time being self-employed to qualify. Uh -huh. um, but there's no set rules. So sometimes if you've done schooling for a career change, you can we look at schooling as training for the new job and we don't necessarily need to wait. It just depends on the circumstances. Every single, every single person's circumstances are completely unique and different. I've done over 100 and 120 transactions in my five years, and not one of them has been the same. And I only ask because I'm, because I'm, because I'm, because I'm not completely sure how much and how far out I would want to buy. Makes sense. We can sit down and have that conversation. Um, it's always good to start it and make educated decisions instead of assuming and waiting. So. Yeah, because that doesn't do anybody any favors, huh? You just throw money into your rent. Do you guys work in the springs at all or have any resources down there? Yes. Yeah, so Colorado Springs is actually my normal stopping point. Colorado Springs to um, Fort Collins. I did one in Trinidad. So I, I literally spit and I was in New Mexico. <laughs> that was a long drive. It was five hours each way. Um, I Very, very, very few circumstances would I do that again, but I will. I, I love my clients and I, I will work for you guys. But I, my normal cutoff is Colorado Springs. Um, I've done two, two down there this year. Spencer's parents actually. I snowshoed in three miles with his parents to go to the place. I told them I was like, we can't go till April. The agent says we can't go till April. They said we have snowshoes. <laughs> <laughs> so we, they, we drove up there and we hiked in. I thought we were all gonna die. His dad fell over and his mom went to help him and he felt she fell over. I was like, I'm not helping because if we all fall over, we're gonna die here. <laughs> Someone has to stand up. And I thought oh, I had to have a heart attack. Somebody has to send a smoke signal. <laughs> there was nobody. So yeah. Uh, yeah. mine's more for Brett too. Um <laughs> sorry. Finances is <laughs> it's very common. I mean, yeah. Well that's always the question. So when, when we're doing anything in these situations, Nate will always tell someone, okay, we know you want to buy. Are you pre-qualified? Because if there's only so far you can go if you can't get financing. Right. And so we usually start with the financing piece just to know where you're at. Mm -hmm. And then we communicate about, here's what the price range is. If we're looking at a condo or a townhome, there's usually what's called a homeowners association. And so yeah. price points can really vary based on you know, different properties. Can, so um, I'm close to having a lot of loans just be paid off because I've, they're just coming to an end because I've paid them all. And um, how long should I wait after they've fallen off my credit before I notice a change or should start looking? Depends. So the, the way credit works, the, the big differences between what drives your credit are installment loans, so like a car loan. Mine's a consolidation loan, yeah. and so it's the, coming so to an end. Installment, so that would be considered an installment loan. It's not revolving because it's just right. being paid a monthly payment. Yes. Installment loans usually do well in your credit because as you pay them over time, it looks at the length of history of your credit. credit. Revolving accounts are where most people get really messed up because depending on how you've used your credit card, if they're maxed out, you get, it actually hurts your credit. As you pay it down below 70%, 50%, 30 and 10, you actually get points. So if you're paying off credit cards, you wanna wait until the balances reflect as the lower ones. If it's an installment loan, you may wanna get credit for the installment loan you pay off, depending on how long you've had it, because it may be a positive in your credit, depending on whether you have other installment loans. Yeah, I've had it five years. Yeah, if there's no mates on it, you may be better off having credit pool before it's paid. We can qualify with it being paid off. We don't have to have it fully paid off to not count it. But there's all sorts of things we can do with it. So, so there are instances where, Brett will attest this, um, they can roll in the rest of those payments <coughs> into your mortgage and pay it all off where you have the closing time. Um, well, yeah. Which are actually I very I can't helpful. even refinance it because it was such a big loan. 
that it made it uh, my debt to income ratio too high was yeah. where my issue was. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, w- I was paying like eight hundred. I was paying like eight hundred dollars a month to get it paid off. Yeah. But if you're already down to a couple payments left, yeah, it's something that he could probably get you qualified for your house. You buy, you buy it, and then at the closing table, they take those last two payments and just send it right off to it. Okay, and then good to know. With good credit, mm-hmm. if you're, so there's different loan types. If you, if you have good credit and you qualify for what's called a conventional loan, we look at installment loans with less than 10 months left on them mm-hmm. as not a payment to qualify with. You don't, we don't even count it into the debt ratio. Uh, FHA is a little different because it looks at it and still wants it paid unless you have enough money to show that you could pay it off if you needed to and aren't using it in the it really varies depending on the financing. And FHA, okay. if you don't know what FHA is, FHA is the Federal Housing Association. That's the people, that's the government backing the loan. Right. Yeah. They're really all government backed anymore. So. And my mom's a mortgage <laughs> underwriter. She said pretty much the same thing. I just, um, yeah, I get my credit score probably can't handle it right now. I was just curious. I'll look at that. So my dad, like 30 years ago, had. It usually, so what we call, that would be called a derogatory credit event, that's how we look at it. Um, anymore, it shouldn't be on credit after seven years um, for a bankrupt. It, it, bankruptcy shouldn't even count in scoring after seven years. It should drop off the credit after 10. Um, but those events, on an FHA loan, you can buy after two years out of a bankruptcy with a conventional loan, it's after four. And so it really shouldn't be an issue and factored into it. Credit score is the biggest driver on the actual interest rate impacts because of how, how rates are, or loans are priced. Um, but it shouldn't be an issue anymore. Um, kind of, like, Good to do a down payment for a home or not? Well, typically it helps to put some down. Um, however, there are down payment assistance programs that can help you with the down payment so you can hold on to the cap, depending on what you have available. So we look at it as a trade off between what the payment would be with more down and less down. The common question is well, I have an extra $10,000 to put into it. Should I do it? Well, if it's going to drain all of your savings, the difference in the payment by having the money in the house versus in your bank is about $55 to $65 a month. Are you comfortable with the payment with the extra $50 or $60 a month and having money in the bank in case you need it versus, like I would want my savings to have a $50 a month cheaper payment, but now there's some emergency happens, I have to fix the car, or I want to buy furniture when I move in, or there's a water break, or whatever happens in the course of your life, getting access to those funds is so a lot of it depends on personal situations and personal comfort. Um, but I have a lot of borrowers who, when they sell a house, have had a lot of equity in it. Just like, well, we're going to dump it all in, and we have conversations about paying off all of the debt. Like they would rather they think a lower house payment is better than having all of the debt paid. And it's we have those conversations. And we go through that. That's that's one of the things you really need to do. That's why you need to build a relationship with your lender. Have somebody who you actually trust who will go over those things with you and be very candid. Um, I know it's very sensitive. A lot of people don't want to talk about their finances to strangers. That's why we build relationships to be, so we're not strangers. <laughs> yeah. In the back, you, you had a question. I didn't hear that for a bit. So. Yeah. Um, so where would you guys recommend this like affordable places? Because I feel like as someone who's been kind of lurking on Zillow for both rentals and also purchasing, it feels like. 
the prices for everything, whether it's an apartment or a condo or a house, are extremely high. And nobody's able to make hourly enough to be able to pay that by themselves. You know, you look at an apartment in my own hometown in Thornton, you know, it's $1,800 for a one bedroom. And you, unless you have a partner or a significant other or somebody you're cool with sharing a one bedroom with, how do you make that work? So that's difficult. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a government question with <laughs> your inflation. Um, but what I usually say is we kind of find creative ways to help out with stuff like that. If you, want, if you truly want to buy a house and you're going to have a roommate anyway, mm -hmm. I've come up with some creative solutions sometimes where we have roommates who purchase the home together. Um, if you're going to live together for two years, you already know that, you're going to sign a lease for two years. You buy the house together, and if one of you guys decides to leave, you can always refinance out, or you can do something. Um, I've done that creatively with a group of kids that were trying to buy a place. Um, they're 22 years old, three of them went together and bought a $350,000 house. Um, they each paid less than they ever would with on, a, on a rent. And then a year later, one of them wanted to split up and move out. <laughs> of course, why wouldn't they? Um, so it, the other two just, Refinance gave them some of the equity that they had out, gave them their split, their split, and they walked away. Um, and the other two were still able to afford the house. We need flights when three people buy together who aren't related and they all want to buy houses individually after, so they all call. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a farming thing. Yeah. Yeah. How many loans would you say are comorbid your situations, uh, like as a percentage? It depends. I mean, we, we have tons. There are ways if you have family that's willing to help to have a non Co-borrower buy with you, um, but we have we have a lot of blended family situations. From a VC, there's no rules against it. Um, it's common enough that the government actually built into our contracts a way to purchase it, so that you can actually account for that. So it's very common. Uh, my lease is ending, in, you know, next July and stuff like that. But what's the time frame that you want to begin this process? So you want to get in touch with the lender as soon as possible, uh, especially if you have anything with your credit, because we can, it takes a few months to work through your credit. Um, I always say give at least four months, because buying a house, finding a house, and buying a house in these markets, a little bit easier now since we have a little more inventory, but um, I've had clients that I worked with for eight or nine months before we were able to find something. So. The, the other piece of that is really understanding what your lease terms are with a house. So in this market today, there's, there's an advantage for home buyers wanting to buy because it really is a buyer's market. So what that means for you is if, if you can get it on today, and let's say it's $3,000 to get out of the lease, but in 12 months, it's gonna cost you 10% or 5% more for the same house and you're competing as, because if rates come down in July or next year, you may be competing with everyone who's kind of parked on the sidelines that I'm just going to wait. And that always comes in as a frenzy. So there may be financial advantages of saying, hey, it's $1,500 to break my lease if I find the right house. Maybe I'm willing to do that. And I'm not saying that you should do that. I'm just saying it's a really good economic calculation of if I wait and it costs me $30,000 more to the same house or I'm going to pay $1,500 to get out of the lease and get in today, maybe that's worth it. So by doing that pre-approval on the sooner side, we can identify any potential challenges with your credit. If you're able to buy, you can really start a search and it's like the perfect home that like it's there and you want to buy it. You have the flexibility to do it. You know that, hey, I can do it if I want to. Okay. Cool, thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, okay. So you mentioned earlier about the down payment assistance program. What are those and are there other assistance programs out there to help first time buyers? There are quite a few. Um, the ones that we, so because of the way the markets move, um, the one we work most frequently with is a program called CHAPA. It's the Colorado Housing Finance Authority. Um, there's another program called Metro DPA, which is in the city and county. The problem with the, Met, with the Metro DPA program right now, it's really complicated with why rates are priced the way they are. And the way they do their loan, it's really difficult to use their program. Um, but then municipalities have programs as well. So like City of Aurora has a program, the River County has a program. There are 
it depends on where you're looking at buying. Um, most of the probes, a CHAPA, for instance, is either a conventional or an FAA, <coughs> depending on credit qualifying requirements. And then they give you 4% of your loan amount to use for the down payment and some closing costs. And then it's, a, it's an interest-free loan, and you get them to uh, pay it off when you sell the loan, but you don't make a payment on that down payment assistance. Okay. So it, it makes it a lot easier to get in. So how do you know what's just, like, me and my parents want to buy a home? Both my mom and my dad have really, really, really bad credit. Um, would you like run their credit for us and then maybe like take them off? Because I'm the only one in my family who has very good credit. Yes, yeah, so we, we oftentimes we'll do, we'll do applications with multiple people and we'll pick and choose. If someone can't be on it, we'll pull them off. Um, so there's no, if you apply altogether, there's not necessarily a detriment to doing it all together up front. If, there, if it is something that maybe one parent actually can do it, then you leave them on if you need them off and if you the application that doesn't hurt anyone. I always tell everyone, put everyone on and we'll pick and choose what we need. Well, sometimes two people buying with really good credit, there may be an advantage to still having only one buyer because there are some programs that are income-based that they might have too much income to qualify. Like, and have you ever worked with uh, tiny houses? Tiny houses are hard. Yeah. While we're in Colorado, when everyone's like, tiny house, tiny house, <coughs> they're very hard to find a place to put them. That's what I've um, always heard. That's why yeah, I wanted to ask. Because if you buy land and you put a tiny house on, you still have to come up with septic and water and electricity and all that stuff. And those are very, very expensive. On, on a traditional financing side, you can't get a loan for them because they're considered personal property just like a mobile home is because you can pick them up and move them. So real property has to be attached to the land. Mobile homes and tiny homes can literally be thrown them back, you know, taken away, and 
so that the bank doesn't want to lend on it because there's no collateral. They'll do loans for tiny houses through different financing uh, mechanisms, but for if you want to buy a piece of land and you have to get a lot loan, it's traditionally a bank product, um, so it's more of a community bank or a local bank to do that piece of it. One more question, and then we got our uh, sign-up sheet, so we're going to get everybody's information so that we can have one-on-ones after this, because there's just so many questions and I'm sure not everything you guys needed was answered. But one more question. Anybody? Hello? I said one more So I'm not that well versed in the buying real estate, so what's the typical process of starting it and closing it? So the first step is talk to um, myself or Brett. Talk to me. Yeah, Yeah. so once we get you once we get your name and information, we get you down. Brett gets you fine and, um, gets you so I know exactly how much you're pre-approved for. Then we start looking for houses. Um, once we go find your house, we put in a contract on it. Um, where I sit down, I write this 26-page buyer contract. We, I go over everything with you guys, um, and I'll educate you more as we get into that. But then we submit that. If it gets accepted, we do an inspection on the house. Um, making sure the electric works, make sure the plumbing works, making sure the windows aren't broken, the carpet, blah, 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 all those things. Um, once that's done, then we send it back to Brett and say, time to see if the house is worth what we're paying for it, and he sends out an appraiser to, to, to do that. Um, once that's completed, the title company's doing the back end work with changing the HOA and the, um, the, the actual deed of the house, and then we sit at the closing table. Um, Average time is about 30 days to do that. To, from the time we put in the contract and it's accepted until the day we close, it's about 30 days. That's a pretty normal timeline, but in this market right now, as things have been a little slower, I mean, they can be done in three weeks. They can, you know, we can, the seller and the buyer are determining the length of time needed to do it. We have the lender just being told how quickly, how much time and how little time we have. But um, in this market, it's, you know, 30 days is pretty normal. Great. Um, so, please fill out the questionnaire. We have cards up here, information if you guys have anything. And then, otherwise, we appreciate you guys coming in. And uh, we have a booth here all weekend. If you've liked what you've heard, check out some of our other shows like No Applause, Just the Clap, Damn, Doug's Acute Mental Neuroses, Nerd Vomit, and I Hate Kathy Hammond. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Play, or www.bacnpodcast.com.